book of Job. Now, it's, uh, I'm going to pull a fast one on you. We're going to pretend this is the 6 p.m. service. Because I was going to teach what I'm going to teach you this morning, tonight. And I thought, nah, I'm going to do it in the morning. And show you what you miss when you don't come to Sunday night service. So this is tonight's service, this morning. Tricky, aren't I? Now, Job chapter 1, I want you to stand with me if you can, and we're just going to read verses 20 and 21. Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. All right, let's say, let's read it out loud together. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, um, whatever Job knew and whatever he learned, we need to know. And we need to learn. Because times have not changed. Hearts have not changed. The only thing that has not changed is you. And whatever strength Job found that got him through this trial is for us today. Lord, uh, we could talk about everything about Job, but I'd rather see beyond that. I want to see the invisible. I want to see you. So this morning, please help us to open our spiritual eyes. Help us to be challenged by all the wrong ways we look at you and see you so that we can trust you like you're worthy of. Bless the, the, the preaching, bless the hearing, bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. <clears throat> now we're going back around 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. That would be quite, that's 2,000 BC, 4,000 years ago. We're going back to not the good old days, but we're actually going to a time when all hell broke loose in the life of a good man named Job. It all happened in the land of Uz, not Oz, but Uz, okay? In an area of modern Israel, I'm sorry, in an area uh, way east of modern Israel. So if if you notice, this is the area where Israel is, modern Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Syria. Uz was this, oops, go back, was this area right over here, it's a little bit of discrepancy. You're not sure if it was down here, if it was up here. A lot of the research shows that it was these guys because the Sabaeans are, are attacking from here and the Cal, um, Chaldeans are attacking from over there. Job's just east of Israel, living in the land of us. And it's probably, if you can understand, it's one of the most fertile, the most productive, the most successful farming areas in the entire Middle East. And that's where Job was. Now, An entire book of 42 chapters is written about Job's experience. And the Jewish people 
put it in our canon of scriptures that we call the Bible, this book, and I'm glad, as a matter of fact, when I first got saved, three books caught my attention as I read through my Bible twice in one year, Job, Hebrews, and Matthew. And Job caught my attention because I'd never heard anybody talk about trouble like Job went through, and it fascinated me. So I believe with all my heart that this book about Job's affliction should take his place among the masterpieces of all literature of all time because it powerfully describes our deepest feelings and our thoughts in the loneliest and most abandoned of times. Sooner or later, we will all identify with Job because suffering is a part of life, especially the Christian's life. Will you take your Bible now? Hold your place here. I need you to go to uh, Philippians, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. Philippians 1, 29 says this. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. You see, this one book, the book of Job, answers the hardest of questions, like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does tragedy strike those who love God the most? Why do the good die young? Why is heaven so silent so often? Why does it seem like Satan is winning? Well, those and more are answered in the book of Job. One of the most famous sufferers on this planet asked all of these questions. He suffered so deeply that his wife couldn't stand it anymore. And she said to her husband, let's just curse God and let's just die. In other words, he says, let's get it over with. There's no future. There's no use. You can almost see her standing up saying, I'll be the first, first candidate for euthanasia. Often's tragedy will, will strike like the loss of a career or the loss of a family, the loss of your wealth. Often it will lead to an even greater tragedy, and that's the denial of the meaning of life. When you have a disaster, have you ever noticed yourself go, what's the point? You ever notice that? Job struggled with that. He didn't want to live anymore. He wished he'd never been born. Somebody did a study and research, and it's funny what people research, but some of the research is kind of interesting. One guy uh, with, a, with a group at a, at, a, at a university did a research of about 200 different people and just tracked their moods, which would be terrifying, <laughs> but tracked the moods of people and the experiences. And out of those 200 people across five years, he noticed about every 18 months was a bottom out. And then things would pick up again. And then next, about a year and a half later, bottom out. So I don't know. God says that there are cycles. Maybe that's just Western world. I don't know. But if you're on a high, beware. There's a low coming. But instead of choosing suicide... Instead of turning to drinking or to drugs, Job clung to life with the grip that we need 4,000 years later. So I want us to be honest as we start and really 
this Sunday morning, I'm just trying to give you a taste of what we do on Sunday night because for the next few months on Sunday night, we're going to sample. I'm not going to, we're actually going to, not going to learn a lot about Job because I want you to learn about the God of Job. See, when we look at Job, we go, so sad. <laughs> and we can analyze all the things we can medically uh, define the boils on his body. We can psychologically analyze the approach of his wife and the discouragement of his uh, discouraging words of his friends. But I want to see the God behind it all. So I'd like us to be honest for quite a while because Job went through a week of the most horrendous suffering that any of us could ever imagine. Think about him experiencing the sudden loss of everything he had worked so hard to build. His farms, his wealth, his buildings, his cattle. All his life he had built up that farm and then lost it. Can you imagine the loss of your children burying ten children that he had spent his life raising for God and to lose them? Now Job was covered from head to toe with massive boils that never stopped swelling or itching. Constant fever drained every bit of strength from his body. Then he was abandoned by his wife. He's sitting there. She has no strength to comfort him. Walks away. He is absolutely abandoned. He's sitting in the midst of a heap of rubbish. But that wasn't the end. Job, who started off so right, so close to God, so, so determined to do right, had ended up with nothing. He felt a, a disaster. But that wasn't the worst. <laughs> because he, he had friends. <laughs> he had friends. You know, people who have opinions, people who always know why something's happening to you. And these three friends, with their thoughtless advice, all they wanted to do was to try to get him to admit wrongdoing that he had never done. They never sought to feel Job's pain. They just loved to talk. You ever been around somebody like that? <laughs> and they just talk and talk, and you go, shut up. <laughs> it hurts. Job didn't need a lecture. He needed love, didn't he? Job didn't need a sermon. He needed sympathy. Job didn't need criticism. He needed comfort. He didn't get any. And when we are struck down by tragedy, you know, the greatest thing I need to know is that I've got a friend somewhere who's praying for me, who loves me, who'll sit there with me and weep with me. That's what I need. But I also need to be reminded that God cares, just like that song we just sang. Need to be reminded, does God really get, does Jesus really know what I'm going through? So let's be honest. Job's three friends just icing on the cake, they just, like a hammer, drove him deeper into that pit of depression. And I, I want to say this, there is a time in every life, even a Christian's life, when all hell will break loose. Suddenly, ex unexpectedly, literally, I mean where you can say, so this is hell. It's like when you start off one day and it's sunny, calm, clear, everything going along to plan. Your job is secure. Your children behave. That's a rare day. Your health is good. Then out of the blue, like a violent, angry thunderstorm blowing across your life, tragedy strikes. 
you're hit hard, and you're on your face. Whoever told you that getting saved was the end of all your problems was a liar. Whoever told you that following Jesus would make all your problems go away was looking to get money off of you. Let's be brutally honest here. Job's faith wavered. He was not strong and resilient and staggered not. No, he staggered and fell. He was not a superman. His flesh and blood ached just like we do. He had limits. He felt deep pain. He collapsed under the weight of all the loss that he experienced. And as you will see, come back tonight, while he was under satanic and human attack, he groaned, he wailed, he mourned, he cried, he argued, he questioned, and he even cursed the day that he was born. And through it all, he started to doubt the plan of God, he said. This doesn't make sense. I want to argue with God. I want to say, what are you doing? I want God to explain to me, what is he thinking by allowing this to happen to me? But there's something that's very good. If we be brutally honest, Job never cursed God, which means he never blamed God. He did, he did decide that, right, God, you're in charge. God, if I have any hope, it'll be in you. So when your world falls apart, don't dwell on the whys. I want us to dwell on the who. Does that make sense? Because Job, I'll say, can I tell you the end of the story? Job never got an answer to why. He got closer to who. And that who became all the answers. And I'll show you a little bit more here in a moment. God's reflection, or sorry, God's revelation of himself is power enough to heal the heart. It is powerful enough to heal your heart. Just being close to him makes it all, all amazing. Ultimately, you can't trust the plan because you don't know it, but you can trust the person of Jesus who is absolutely good. He is absolutely perfect, and we can trust him without hesitation. And you know, it's, all the things that we're going to be learning about are good because, first of all, it will help you learn the greatest truths and the promises of Scripture. Do you know there are literally hundreds that are only hundreds of scriptures that are only words until you need them? Let's take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can leave Job for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. This is Jesus. And he said unto me, speaking to Paul, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your success. No, when is God's strength and Jesus' strength particularly available and most strong? When you're weak. Okay, so Paul then adds, he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory Rejoice, can we say, shout in my Job moments. That's what infirmity is when you have no strength. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You'll never 
ever fully grasp and appreciate and use that verse until you're infirm, until you have nothing, until you are collapsed and you go, all right, where's that grace? <laughs> where's that grace? You see, our trials, and as we look at Job, all of a sudden the Bible will come alive because we're looking for all the good stuff. We're, you, ever, you ever notice a, a kid at a birthday, what does he go for? Goes for the icing. Boy, look at just. Well, most people, when they come to the Bible, guess what they look for? The icing. But in the, the, the meat of the Word of God are the promises of God that we need, and you'll never learn them until you're going through the tribal like Job did. Secondly, the book of Job will help us put up with suffering. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs. Chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. In verse 3. Now when it says of a, a fining pot, it's a, it's a, um, a ceramic type of uh, um, container that silver is placed into and then put into a fire, and, and, the, and the silver melts into it, and then they skim off all the dross, and they heat it up again, and it stays in that pot the entire time that it is being purified. And so here, 17 verse 3, the fining pot is for silver. Is that hot or cold? Hot. And the furnace is for gold. Is the furnace hot or cold? Fiery furnace. But the Lord, he takes it even further, he says, He's the one trying, testing, pushing our hearts. See, I don't like it. Nobody does. But I trust it. You see the difference? I trust it because I've read Job. Because I've read the last chapter, and I've gone back, and I says, come on, Job, keep going. I know how it ends. Amen? Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 and verse 31. Luke 22 and verse 31. This is just before Peter is going to be put to the test and be tempted to deny Jesus. And guess what Peter does? He does deny him. He claims to have never met him. He curses the very name of his Savior. But before that testing, I want you to see verse 31, chapter 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you again, that he may sift you as wheat, just pull you apart. But I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I like verse 32, because Jesus says, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. Now, as I follow Peter, I watch him fail, don't you? But Jesus is basically telling you, your faith won't fail. You will fail. Amen? But you will realize, when I get out of that grave, the faith didn't change. I'll just keep believing. I may go up and down, but my faith, when I go down, change happens. And when I get back up, I'll be able to strengthen the brethren. I'll be able to tell them, we can keep going. Because Peter and all the disciples and the apostles suffered in the first century preaching the gospel. James chapter 5. James chapter 5.
James chapter 5 and verse 11. Now, normally, we would like the Bible to read our way. So let me read it like we would read it. Behold, we count them happy which get saved. You've heard of the blessings of Job. <laughs> and have seen that the end of the Lord, the Lord is very kind. And having testimony. My point being, no, we, ha- we count them happy who actually keep going and endure in the suffering. And you've heard of the patience of Job. How many of you have a trouble with patience? Let me see your hands. <laughs> yeah. All right. So as I study Job, as I learn about the God of Job, it helps me put up with suffering. I tell you what, I'll go to the hospital or I'll, I'll be with somebody who just came out of the hospital. And I'm listening to them tell me about everything that went on. You know, I mean, hmm. There's a part of me that just, just, it's called empathy, and I don't like it. <laughs> because I start feeling what they're feeling as they're describing. And, um, you know, they're talking about, yeah, I had, you know, uh, I don't know, some, I had a six-inch gash, and they had to pull out all this stuff out of the, um, uh, the side and sew it up, and I'm just like, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. But when I'm sitting there, and, and, and they're going through that, I kind of want to run. Does anybody else like that? But when it's happening to me, I need somebody not to run, and that's the Lord. And, and it helps me put up with my suffering because he's there, just like he was there with Job. Third, you will accept correction from God better. Now, I guarantee you we all hate correction. Nod your head. There's not one of you that goes, bring it on. Tell me where I'm wrong. (laughs) But when you know God is not just being mean to you, or that he's uncaring, or that he's only punishing you, you will learn to trust his corrections as not only right, but the best for your life. Go to Proverbs now, chapter 6 and verse 23. Proverbs 6, 23. Proverbs 6.23. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a what? Okay, now when they had a lamp, they're they're talking about a light in a dark place that allows you to see where you're going. God's laws and commandments, they're good. And the law is a light for me. And, oh, here's the bad part. (laughs) And reproofs of instruction, not punishments, but reproofs to teach you something are the way of life. It's just a way of life. If you want to live, obey. If you want to live, allow God to sometime come in there and grab your heart and say, you're wrong. I think we're too quick to not say sorry. I think we're too quick to always see and blame somebody else. Job chapter 5. Go back to the left. Before Psalms, Job chapter 5. Job 5, 17. Job 5, 17. Behold, cursed is the man whom God correcteth. Is that what it says? (laughs) How happy is the man 
whom God corrected. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Go to, still in Job chapter 23. Job 23 and verse 10. If you look back in verse 8, Job describes looking for God, searching for help. And he says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. He's not ahead of me. I go backward, but I cannot perceive him there. On the left hand, where I hear him working, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I can't see him. Can you hear frustration in his voice? But he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me. I shall come forth as gold. What is he saying? He's saying, I wish I could see him. I wish I could hold him. I wish I could hear his voice. I wish I knew what he was doing. I don't know anything, but I know he knows what he's doing. And he's going to make something better out of me. And it helps you so you accept correction from God better. Here's another point. You'll accept loss easier. Go back to Job chapter 1. We read it already. Job chapter 1 and verse 21. Bible-believing Christians are not guaranteed to be winners. They are guaranteed, you know, I, I just, we play games now in the house, and it's always funny. Uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll play, uh, we call it trouble. What's it, what else is it called? The one with the big stopper, you know, the popper. Trouble. We call it in America frustration, I think. Uh, well, okay, what it is is, is a, a, a little thing you pop, a little dome, it's got a dice in there, and you've got all these colored uh, things that you're running around, getting around to your base and get up in your base. Okay, so we're playing along, and it's always funny because we'll have a winner, and we'll keep playing, and then the next person will go, I'm the second winner, and then we'll keep playing the last two, I'm the third winner, and then the last one gets around, I'm the fourth winner! <laughs> Nobody's a loser. Do you know, when you got, listen, as a Christian, you know what? There are losers. We're not guaranteed that we're just going to go from strength to strength. We're, just, we're never going to have troubles. We're never going to lose things. We're never going to fail. No. Bible-believing Christians are not guaranteed to never lose and to never suffer defeats. Job chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and empty and naked shall I return thither. I came in here with nothing, and I'm leaving with nothing. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I find that most people, so many people follow Jesus because they believe he's only going to bless them. He basically is a good luck charm for them. A genie in the bottle or a genie in the Bible. And they believe that, God, you're going to put me ahead at work. Everybody's going to look up to me. They're all going to ooh and ah at my spiritual wisdom. And they fire you. <laughs> So I find that most believers end up being very discouraged because it's not like that. Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Jesus said, he that findeth his life is going to what? Going to lose it. He that lets go loses his life for my sake. Now, not just take your life. Now, we're not talking about suicide. We're not talking about, we're talking about letting go and letting God, whatever he needs to prune out of my life, whatever he needs to take out of my life, hospitals, 
bankruptcy court, um, you're, 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 you're losing your house, you're, everything's falling apart, and you have no control over the thing. There's a time where you just say, Lord, I'm trying to do right. If I have to let go, I'll let go. Just don't let me go. He that loses his life for my sake is going to find it. You'll find life. And you're not going to get to that place where you love loss until you love the God who you are allowing to take it away. Uh, Philippians 3.8. Philippians 3.8. Starting in verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, profitable to me, they were beneficial to me, they were success to me. Those I counted what? Loss. I counted empty for Christ. They were less than a zero. Yea, doubtless, without question, I count all things but loss for the excellency of just knowing who? Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I not only, I not only look at my home and my life and my cars and my job and say, it's all yours, Lord. Paul says this, for whom I have suffered the loss of all. I also experienced the loss of it all. And I do count them but dung, manure, that I may win Christ. You'll accept loss a whole lot easier when you trust the one who's taken it away. And you'll end up loving God more. I tell you, Western world, Western civilization, we do not know the love of God. Not that we have not experienced it, but we don't know how to love God because we love this world. We love, there's, there's, there's this little thing called the internet and your, your smartphones and Netflix, and there is such a numbing that makes it so that, I mean, if the internet shut off tomorrow, there'd be people jumping off of buildings. There is no way that we could survive anymore without that stupid square-eyed monster telling us what to think. How do you love God who you can't see when all you do is see? And it's just nice to just switch it off and walk away and say, God, I don't know you. I want to love you. I want to love you even though I lose everything. And looking at Job, Job couldn't look at his children's faces. And looking at that little baby over there, you see the love of God in that little child, amen? You see the kindness of God. You see the greatness. But when Job lost it all, he had nobody to look to except God. And when you trust God, I'm telling you, it helps you love him as you learn of the God of Job. How do you think David got to the place where he sang when he was running from, uh, from King Saul? When everything, I mean, uh, Samuel came in anointed and says, you're going to be king. And he went, I'm going to be king. And then he's running for his life for seven years. And yet, psalm after psalm, he ends up praising God because he learned to trust. You know what? The book of Job was standard reading for King David. Job was written before David. So, psalms quotes Job. And David and, and all of the believers had Job. As a matter of fact, I'll go as far as to say Job is the oldest book in your Bible. It predates the book of Genesis. Job was written 2,000 years before Christ, 1900 and something. Genesis is written in 1450 B.C., 600 years later. 
So if there's one book that every Old Testament believer read, it was the book of Job. One final thought. One final thought about Job's suffering. You ready? There is one man that we're reminded of. One man who, when you see Job and all his sufferings, it reminds us of the humanity of another man named Jesus, who was the only person who has ever endured more than Job did. And the key to, uh, uh, the key to understanding all of Job's sufferings was the cross. Like Job, Jesus did not rise above his sufferings. He didn't skip it. He went through it. Jesus led himself to be captured by soldiers, falsely tried by religionists and bureaucrats, condemned by an angry mob, whipped and scourged by soldiers, finally nailed to a cruel instrument of death called a cross. You know what Job says in, Ju in, in chapter 13, verse 15? He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Did, did God actually kill Job? No. But Jesus, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him? And God did kill him. Only one man went further than Job. Now, it's very important to know the God of Job for four reasons. Number one, it's because it's the deepest desire of every believer. Go back to, you're in Philippians. Look at verse 10. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul has saved probably 20 years at this point, and he says, I still want to, next two words, know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Myself being made conformable unto his death. Go to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Every child of God in this room has a special yearning in their heart. If you're saved, I'm not talking to everybody in this room, every person who's saved, every one of you that are born again, you have a special yearning in your heart that cries out to know him intimately, to call him Abba. Abba, I wonder, I, I don't know what it's going to be like listening to Leah in a home with a British and a Nakhnihini accent. <laughs> that is going to be fun to listen to. Come here, Timmy. <laughs> and Beth will be going, who's Timmy? <laughs> so here's, here's poor Leah. <laughs> One of these days she's going to be, it'll be a battle. It was a battle between Nita and I. Say dad, dad. Say dad and Nita go, no, say, say mama. Say mama. Mama. Say dad, dad. Dad, dad. <laughs> and then when she does say either one of those, but especially when she looks up at Weston and goes, dad, dad. He's going to be walking on the ceiling like Spider-Man. Woo! Because that's the closeness. That's such a closeness that a human can express to their parent of such intimate love and connection. That's what we can call God our Father. And a lot of you haven't experienced that. Where you yearn to be able to cry in your tears as you pray and say, Oh, Abba, I haven't been honest with you. 
kind of been hiding my feelings. I kind of didn't want to get close to you because I'm hurting. And the Lord says, now we're talking. Because to know the God of Job is in us. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Where did I tell you? 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man, the wise guy, glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in all of his strength and his might. Let not the rich man glory in all of his riches. But let him that glory, that rejoices, that gets excited, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. You want to get excited? Get excited with the fact you know me. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. It is in us. Religion is only a stab in the dark. When somebody goes to church and they go through the motions and they don't even know why they do it. They, 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 they're trying to just work out their confusion about God. And really, unless you're born again, unless you have a Bible, it is all dark. It is all an empty exercise. You know, the truth is, God cannot be known unless he reveals himself to you. And you have the only means through which he, inter he reveals himself to you, which is the Bible. So who is this God? The God of Job, can he actually be known? Can mere man know an almighty, infinite, eternal, all-wise God? And then can we trust him? Well, that's the desire in us. Secondly, to know the God of Jacob, of Job, know the God of Job means that we're going to find that he's different than we expect. You can't, you, you'll not figure him out on your own, and that's why most people don't end up following the Bible. They'll start in Genesis, and they'll try to put all the pieces together, and they have no idea what they're following, being a Gentile. What they, what people want, is a God in their own image. What they want is a Thor with long hair and big muscles and girls all around them, because they want to be Thor. What they want is a nice, gentle, soft, uninterrupting kind of God that leaves them alone and yet never lets them down. A God that scratches their itching ears and coddles their wicked sins and answers their selfish prayers. That's the kind of God people want. But that's not the true God. Not the God of Job. The God of Job is the only God that there is. Go to Isaiah 45. If you're in Jeremiah, go back one book. Isaiah 45 and verse 18. Forty-five, eighteen. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he that established it, he created it not in vain, he that formed it, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. And guess what? There is none else. Look at chapter, verse 22, same chapter, chapter 45, verse 22. So look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For guess what? I am God and there is none else. He's the only God there is. And you know what's amazing? He never changes. Go to the last book in the Old Testament, just before Matthew. It's the book of Malachi. 
one of the most stabilizing verses in the Old Testament is Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. <clears throat> Did you know God doesn't change? We had those three things God cannot do. There's actually ten things that I found that God cannot do. First, I found only five, and I was always saying, name the other two. You know? Now I know that there's four, five more. There are ten things that God cannot do, but one of the things God cannot do is He cannot change. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. That's why ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. <laughs> if I did, if my emotions got the better of me, you'd be wiped out in a, in a, in a half a second. You know, he, the God of Job is the God of Genesis and the God of Matthew. He's the God of Exodus and the God of Revelation. So, dear friend, you better quit ignoring him. You better quit running from him. Start finding out what he wants, what he expects, and do it. <laughs> third thing, third thought. You've got to get to know the, the God of Job. Your soul depends upon it. You cannot just go through life and expect you'll be fine at death. That's what I meant yesterday as I went soul winning. Tried to talk to people about, do you know where you're going when you die? Oh, I'm fine. Probably not. <laughs> Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed a man once to die, but after this, nothing, right? <laughs> That's what they wanted to say. But after this, the judgment. You can't just go through life and hope for the best, because there's, there's not happening. Look at 2 Thessalonians. They're in the New Testament. Before you get to Hebrews, there's a little book called 2 Thessalonians. Before 1 and 2 Timothy. Or as Weston would say, it's all in the T's. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, T T T T. Anyway, Second Thessalonians, chapter one, verse seven. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. I like when the Bible says, "You upset? You stressed out? Take a breath." Because when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that sin wickedly. Is that what it says? No. Them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, people who don't know and don't care to know, it's not that they're ignorant, it's that they refuse to know. They don't know nothing about it. Verse 9 says, Who shall be punished with how long of destruction? It goes on forever and ever and ever. Hell is still real. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Go to John, John chapter 17. John 17, verse 3. Say, what are you getting at? Isn't there some big prayer I need to pray to get saved? No. Isn't there some big deed I need to do to prove that I'm believing? No. In there, don't, am I supposed to get baptized to seal my faith? No. You know what you need to do? You need to know the God who died for you and rose again. Not only that he loved you, but he wants to save you and let him do it right now. I'll show you. Look at John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is praying. He says, this is Jesus. He says, this is life eternal. What? That they, anybody, might know you, might know thee. 
the only true God, and know Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. If they just knew you like I knew you, if they just knew me, they'd have eternal life. Do you understand? We're not talking about head knowledge, because head knowledge puffs up. Head knowledge just makes me think. But heart knowledge makes me live. And when I know Jesus Christ, a lot of people know my wife, but I know her. I'm still trying to figure out things that I don't understand or know, but I know my wife, and people know about Jesus. There are so many billions of books written about the Bible. I meet people who don't know the Bible. There are people in religions that, that talk about God till the cows come home and then again, and they don't know Jesus. If you want eternal life, you're going to have to get into this book and find out who he is and say, I believe him. I, I, I just, I trust him. And that'll save anybody. See, that's all. That's all. You're going to have to get the know the God of Job because your soul depends on it. Your soul's salvation is absolutely based on personally knowing Jesus Christ. And you know, I, uh, it's so easy. Anybody could get saved. But that internet, smartphones, the entertainment, the culture we're in has made it so hard to just believe, hasn't it? To just go, I'll follow him. Let's protect our families. Let's protect our church. If anything's pulling you away from a Sunday, if anything's pulling you away from that time with God, it's of the devil. Because that's my life. Job teaches us that. The God of Job teaches us that. Now, the question is this. Do you want to know about the God of Job? That's the problem. Do you know the God of Job is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't want to know him more, then I'll say this then you don't know him at all. Does that make sense? I'm fine, and you don't know him. It is in every one of us to want to know him more. I'll just read Philippians 3.10. I read it there, that I may know him. After 20 years of being saved, 20 years of serving God, all Paul wanted was that, to know him more. All right, conclusion. I hope you enjoyed our evening service tonight. Amen. Some of you never knew what it was like on a Sunday night. This is what it's like. Kind of take time, chew on this stuff, and just go, wow. I hope you're back tonight because there's more. We're going now, going to look at there are, there are 14 things about God in that chapter that I bet you never knew. Maybe half of them you've never seen before in your life. You go, so that's what God is like. But let me repeat this. Run down here. Let me repeat. You cannot go through life and expect things will go out, turn out just fine at death. Because ignorance of God is damnation of the soul. It's that serious. I desperately invite you, if you have not been saved, you may have been baptized three times, you may have joined 14 different churches, I don't care. If you have not humbled yourself and cried out to God as a sinner and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, save me. I don't understand you. I, 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 I've just started to know you, but I yearn to believe. I, I just trust you. He says, you're in. And Christian, stir up that, that love for the presence of God. Stir up that love for, I just want to hear from you. I want to I walk with you today. I want to 
I want to know that I'm in the middle of your will. I want to know that even when I'm in trouble in the trials, I want to know you're there with me. Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, in in this few moments, I'd like you to say in the hearts of every person here what they need to hear. Whether it is you need to get saved or He's absolutely right. You are as numb as they get towards me. I need you to get back on fire. Whatever God is talking to you right now, would you please listen, dear friend? Father, I ask that you would speak loud and clear to every heart that we would yearn to not just learn the words of Scripture, but we would see things that are invisible. We'd see the God of Scripture, see God of Job, see the hand of God in our lives instead of always, always seeing disaster. Really, God, if we get a good view of you, we would learn there is no failure in Christianity unless we quit. I pray we would endure. I pray we would welcome the will of God in our life. Not because it's going to be the most fun, but because it is where you are. So, Father, bless all these thoughts to your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.